Welcome to Sunday Morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and in response to the events of the amazing resurrection at Easter, it now becomes our job to discern how we respond to the events of Holy Week and Christ being raised from the dead. We are to discern how we are being led to live, to change our lives, to care for others, to welcome others to Christ's table. This is our call and our challenge. Let's do this together. Come on in. Your first scripture reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, the Roman church, starting in chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything while the weak only eat vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Those who observe the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. Also, those who eat, eat in honor of the Lord, since they give thanks to God. While those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. We do not live to ourselves and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again so that he might be Lord of both the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or your sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each of us will be accountable to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is taken from the Gospel of Matthew. We are in the 18th chapter, verses 21 through 35. 21 through 35. Listen for the word of the Lord. Then Peter came to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, How often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him 
And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell to his knees before him and said, have patience on me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience on me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a little exercise to get us started this morning. I would like you with your neighbor, if you can find one, or in your head, if you are not sitting with someone, to look at me and make three judgments about me based on what I look like. Okay, take a second. Remember, I have the option of not repeating something nasty you might say. But take a second, converse with your neighbor. Three things that you would judge about me from the way that I look right now. We owe Merv Griffin. I guess I can't do that. <laughs> About four more seconds. What do you judge about me, people of the Lord? A what? Oh, joyful and vibrant. That is so sweet. I was expecting receding hairline. That is so much better. Okay, what else? Socks. And what, what do you judge from my socks? Okay, what else? Confidence. Wow, thank you. Kind. Oh, that's so sweet. Now, take your finger of judgment... Point it at the person next to you and share one thing you judge about them from the way they look. Go. <laughs> and remember, you probably, if they're sitting next to you, you probably have to go home with them. So you have to say nice things. Yes, thank you. Well done. So yes, today we are talking about judgment and grace 
as it comes through forgiveness. Those two basic Christian concepts we hear about on a regular basis. And then we have to forgive, yes. Yes, there is judgment. But Jesus, wait, Jesus, woo, no judgment. No, there still is judgment. But let's start to see what Paul has to say to us, and then we'll get into the parable that Jesus teaches. So in the passage that Aaron read to you this morning, this is Paul in his letter to the church at Rome. Paul did not found the church at Rome. He does not know them as well as he did, as he does some of the other recipients of his letters. And the church is having squabbles like many of the churches Paul's writes to because of issues of those who are now Christian. Some were former Jews, some were former Gentiles, and they're bringing all that they have known before them in their past history and kind of blending it with this new understanding Paul is trying to teach them. Remember, as I I told you last week, also in Romans, the first 11 or 12 chapters, Paul is laying out the case for Christ, laying out what Christ did, God's love through the risen Christ. There's a lot of theology. There's a lot of understanding about who we are, how we relate to God and the world and all of that together. And then it pivots around chapter 11 and 12 moving forward to then Paul stops talking so directly about the understanding, the doctrine, the base theology and says, now this is how you live. In response to what Christ did, I've spent the first part of my letter talking about that. Now, this is what you need to do about it. So it's an understanding of who Christ is and God's love to us through the risen Christ. And now it's how do we live that? How do we show that? What's this all about? And so as the church in Rome is together, again, like many others, they are battling some of their former theology and trying to figure out what this Christianity thing is all about. Paul is seeking to help them. So as it starts, he lifts up two specific issues that this church is squabbling over. Some believe in eating anything while the weak eat only vegetables. Hang in there, vegetarians. God still loves you. Those who eat must not despite those who abstain, despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed both of them. And then the second, those who observe the Lord's day, observe it in honor of the Lord. Some judge one day to be better than the other, while some judge all days to be alike. So it was what to eat first, Are our Jewish friends bringing in their kosher dietary laws? Gentiles have no such thing. So how do we eat together? They're all out there at the church potluck and and they're all bringing all kinds of weird stuff, looking at each other. We can't, can we eat that? What, What is that? And the second is the Sabbath. For our Jewish friends, begins Friday night into Saturday. So Saturday was their Sabbath. And for the new Christians, We see Christ as being raised on Easter, on Sunday. And so now the battle is which day is the right Sabbath day. 
eating and Sabbath. And Paul is saying, yes, 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 all of that. And then goes into what are familiar words that we often share sometimes at memorial services. We do not live to ourselves and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So as he is talking to them, he's saying, yes, you need to work that out. We need to figure out what's okay for us, how we operate as a church family, what you can bring to the next covered dish so that everybody is welcome. And again, this issue of Sabbath. Yes, two good points have been, are being made. But Paul says, we need to do better than these squabbles. We need to rise above that which is causing this friction and realize that whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. That is the bigger picture. And Paul is saying to them, that is what is more important. And Paul in no way was saying that you need to all be of one mind only, that there cannot be disagreements, that there won't be arguments. Even James and Peter and Paul, from the very first start of the church, were in disagreement with each other about how to lead and how to do things. Disagreement has been a part of the church from the beginning, and in any group you have been in, you know that. As I like to say, where two or more gathered, God is there, but so too are differences of opinion. So Paul is saying, we need to work these things out, have those conversations, but do not judge them because it is in this judgment that you are hurting yourself and hurting the church. In Matthew's account, when Peter asked Jesus before he tells the parable, he says, Lord, what do I do? How many times do I forgive a member of the church who does me wrong? He doesn't say someone who hurt me. He doesn't say somebody in the community. He doesn't say Roman occupiers. He says, what do I do about members of the church? How many times do I forgive them in the church specific? Paul is saying to us, be careful how you judge. And judgment is slippery because it's on a spectrum of sorts. We know that our human nature is to look and discern, analyze situations and people as they come into our lives, and we make some judgments based on what we see. Simple as that. You looked at me and you made some observations. Very kind. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is a part of understanding how the world works around you when it becomes destructive, is the judgment because someone seems different than we want them to be or we are comfortable with them being. Watch any college football yesterday? 
I know you. I know who your teams are. I watched your team, and I saw what that team did in that nasty play yesterday. Therefore, I judge you because you are associated with them. How dare you? Silly. How about political party? Uh-oh, stop, preacher, watch out. How many times have we judged others so severely that they are no longer complete human beings, but they are just the awful train of thought? They are the awful sin that is represented by the opposite viewpoint from my own, of which I know I am right and God is with me. He sits here in my pocket. All the time, we are so divided because of politics, y'all, and it is destroying us outside in the community and inside the church. These are the squabbles that Paul says, yes, you need to figure out how to be a church family, but realize that whether you live or whether you die, none of that sub-argument, none of these sub Topics are important because you are the Lord. You belong to God. God loves you. And don't let this mess affect who you are and what you're called to do and be. So there are small judgments. And yes, there is ultimate judgment that one day at the end of our earthly life or when Christ comes again, God will judge us, and that is a part of faith. Judgment is a part of faith. But there are those big end-of-life and end-of-world judgments, and then there is the way that God judges us now. What do you mean, preacher? This God of wrath just seeks to live to punish us for our mistakes? No. Another word for judge is convict. One of the job titles for the Holy Spirit is to convict us when we have gone astray. That means to help us understand how we have separated ourselves from God, and God will show us the way back. We do this every Sunday. And interesting, our young Christian said, if you ask for the same thing again and again and again, and you don't change, I don't know if I'm going to forgive you. How many times every Every Sunday, do we ask God for the same thing again and again? God says, I love you. I'm going to give you a new start through my son. It's Peter that says, how many times? And then Jesus tells the story from the Matthew account. And there is judgment in this as well. And when I speak of judgment, again, those two end of time things, but God judging us now, I don't see that different from a parent trying to set parameters for children. Think about that. When either you are a youth or a child or you have youth or children, what is part of your parents' job? to set parameters that are for your own good, for your well-being. Do our children and youth always see that and appreciate that? No. It is often a daily struggle. 
And that child will turn away. That child will disobey and break the laws. And they have to pay a price. Don't do the crime if you can't do the time, Beretta used to say. Right? Oh, sorry, that's old man reference right there. Television show. But or would you be seen if your child breaks a law and then you tell them, well, you were grounded, I get your phone, no car, no going out this weekend, whatever. You are such a judgmental parent, how dare you? But we know we are seeking to help our children and youth to grow through the parameters that we set because we love them and for their own good. God is no different. So when we are judged here and now, it is in a way that brings us home, that God sets the parameters that we can, for our own good, work within because we know the consequences and the judgment, the punitive aspect is often natural consequences from our poor decisions. We bring that on ourselves. It's not a God of wrath that is seeking to punish you any more than parents enjoy punishing their children. They don't. I don't. You don't. But you have to do that in order for the children to be okay, to grow up with an understanding of what is okay and what is not, and what is in their best interest, even though they don't see it. God is the same way with us. Matthew talks about forgiveness. And we ask for forgiveness every week. I hope you do so more than when you're just here. Then you can be more specific in that time when you're away from here. Here, we give you some time together and then individually. And Jesus is so convicted about this, he tells a story. This did not happen. This slave master relationship. It's a story that the teacher tells to exaggerate the point. Lord and slave. Slave owes 10,000 talents. A talent is several years wages. I even saw one reference that said in that day, it would have been the equivalent of something like $10 million. It is an unpayable amount. The debt no matter what that slave did, could not have been paid at all. The slave goes and begs, says, please forgive me. Don't enslave my family. Don't take my possessions. Help me, forgive me. And the king, the Lord says, okay. Shows amazing grace. Because that's a ton of money this Lord was owed. Let it go. Fantastic. Slave is now debt-free. Walking along, sees another slave that owns him 10 denarii, little pittance of money. Takes him by the throat, you owe me. And he says the same thing almost, please forgive me, I, I can't pay this, please don't take my family, don't take, throws him in jail, says you sit there until you pay. Then the other Servants go and tell the Lord what happened, and the Lord came through the first slave into prison until he could pay his debt and was tortured in that process until he paid his debt, which he could never pay because it was an impossible sum. 
And yes, if you are tracking, one way to look at this is that God is that, Lord, we are that servant that come to God with debts that we cannot pay. That is what Christ did for us in sin and death, taken off our plate through the act of love through the risen Christ. And because we were forgiven, it now is incumbent upon us to forgive others. The forgiven have to forgive others. That's what that slave did not do. He should have been forgiven, which he was, and then gone and forgive the other who owed him. How how many times do we do that? We are way open to God's grace and love and forgiveness and mercy because we ask and expect that because that's what we say happens. But then the harder part is to forgive those in healthy ways from wrongs done to us. That debt can incorporate a lot of things. Sins done to us. We say it weekly in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That word as means if I don't forgive them, then Lord, you don't forgive me. Whether it's trespasses or those who trespass against us or sins or those who sin against us, the word as is terrifying. It means if we don't forgive others, God is in God's rights to withdraw the love and grace that has been given. So it is incumbent upon us to, yes, ask for forgiveness Look in the world to see where we are judging in a way that separates us. Again, on that spectrum, some is simple analysis, but when it comes to the point where we are destroying each other because of our political associations, because you did something to me, or I think you're not leading this church well, or what have you, it's destroying the idea. Paul says, whether we die or whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. That is more important than these squabbles, although we have to work them out. The same way if somebody in the church, as Peter says, how many times in the church do I have to forgive? You and we all need to be mature Christians of faith. If someone harms us, says something to us, or does something, we need to go let them know. Say, hey, I, I just want you to know you said something that made me feel bad about myself or I feel like what, what you said made, you know, it, it hurt me because they may not know and they need to know. And in that way, you hope you can work it out. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. But what we don't and shouldn't do is just get mad and walk away. Hey, there's a church on every corner. First press may be mad or somebody at the church may be mad, so I am out. Did, did you have a conversation with it? No. Do they even know that you're mad? Probably not. Okay. Well, again, a sign of mature faith is having adult conversations with each other that are difficult. But as a family, that's what we're called to do. So look and make sure that the way that you judge others is not separating and breaking down this faith community and the community And then know that forgiveness, which is not forgetting, 
is about looking and sharing with others. How many times? Because God has forgiven you and forgives you on a regular basis, you too need to extend that same level of forgiveness to those who have harmed you in small spectrum ways. I'm not talking about abuse and you forget that and you go back. That's not what I'm talking about. That is a whole different scenario. You do not go back if you are being literally physically harmed or mentally tortured. That is different. But for our normal day-to-day, these are the things we're being called to do. These are the things in which we practice being the community of faith that we celebrate. So let us go. Hallelujah. Amen.